0: You are listening to Processing Trauma Out Loud, conversations about trauma and healing from two women who are doing the work. My name is Jeremiah Jones, and I am the producer of this podcast. Shame sends us the message that we're not good enough and blocks our ability to receive and give love. In this episode, Candace and Cher discuss why it's important to know when shame is present and how the lies of shame are dismantled through compassionate words of truth. Shame is a painful emotion we all experience, but it does not have the final say over our lives.
1: Hi, Cher. Hey, Candace. How are you doing? I'm doing great. How are you doing today? I'm doing great, too. Well, we're going to have a, a different topic today on shame for our episode eight. We've had several discussions about why... It's just important that we name some things about shame as we move forward. Yeah.
2: I think the reality is everyone struggles with shame, particularly, I, I mean, everyone does. That's the truth. But if you have had childhood trauma, mm-hmm. especially repeated episodes of being harmed, especially if it occurred in your home, not only, but especially if it occurred in your home, from your primary caregivers or, you know, from a family member, there's going to be shame and a lot of shame that is embedded deep into the fabric of who you are, who we are. And the thing that's so important about shame, I think like the big question of, you know, well, why should we deal with shame? And and my answer is because shame blocks love. Mm -hmm. And we all want love. We are all longing for love, but shame blocks love. And I love the quote from Rumi where he said, you know, your task is not to seek for love, but merely to seek and find all the barriers within yourself that you Mm -hmm. have built against it. Mm -hmm. And that's what shame does. It really causes us to establish these barriers so that love really cannot reach those secret and hidden places of our soul that we feel are Dirty
1: and ugly and unworthy. Yeah, because shame makes us feel like we are unworthy. Yeah. It sends us messages that, you know, we haven't just done something bad, but we are bad. And really, it's about the core of who we are Mm -hmm. and that we are loved and. When shame gets in there, like you said, it's going to block us from being able to not only receive love, but really give love. Yeah. And we wanted
2: to just offer a quote tonight from Brene Brown because she's the person who has studied shame more than probably anyone else. And I really appreciated her saying shame is the most powerful master emotion, Mm -hmm. it is the fear that we are not good enough. Mm-hmm. bottom line with shame is it's the fear that we are not good enough. And when we feel that we aren't good enough, it puts us into cycles of hiding and pretending and performing, or mm-hmm. Brene Brown says secrecy, silence and judgment.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: And all of those words, I think are so powerful. And have such huge impacts on our life and our relationships and just the way that we are able to do life.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah. Shame is a very painful emotion. And, you know, as littles, we aren't going to be able to identify. I feel shame right now. But we, like you said, we, we feel it, even though we don't name it and we maybe hide or we keep something, something a secret, we begin judging ourselves. And as we grow older, we look for ways to relieve that pain. We look for ways to cope with the pain of shame. And that the way people do that varies. You know, some, some people get some relief through addictions, some just shut down and don't allow themselves to feel emotions become avoidant. There are multiple ways that we try to silence the voice of shame through Kobe behavior. And where that gets complicated is when we meet someone or even as we are processing our own journey and the ways that we've tried to silence shame also produces guilt, which then becomes the big deal. Mm hmm our behaviors
2: you know all the things that we're doing really to survive but in the eyes of society often those things are not acceptable so they get us into trouble and so often i think rather than feeling like we have somebody who will dive in right and start trying to get to our heart rather than that to say like why are you doing this anyway
1: Mm-hmm. Rather
2: than that, we get the eyes
1: of judgment that say you are bad because you are doing bad things. Yeah. And so we focus on the behavior and until we get to the shame that's driving the behavior, we we may get you know, there may be a a, a moment where we get out of the behavior because there are behaviors that we you know our destructive self and other destructive behaviors but until we get to the shame that has been driving that behavior it's going to circle back around and and you may choose a different behavior to quiet that pain again but it's when we meet people with true empathy and we can we begin to silence the voices of judgment mm. with seeing and soothing and providing security and safety in those places where shame has blocked love, then we can really start to see, really without making it about behavior, we see behavior changes. Yeah,
2: it's so good. And you use the word something about until we get to the shame that is driving the behavior. And I want to just bring us back a little bit to those early years in life when these foundations of shame are established. And when we go through particular stories of harm, a child will always take the blame. Mm
0: -hmm. They will
2: always believe that they are somehow at fault for whatever it is that happened, even if it happened to them, they will believe that they are at fault and they will not, a child cannot point the finger at a parent and say, it's the parent mm-hmm. who is struggling here. It's the parent who is doing something they shouldn't. The child will always believe that it is something about them that prevents mm-hmm. their parent from being kind or loving or or, or good. Mm-hmm. And so it's yeah, it's the, it's that shame then that that gets established really young in life often most of the time, mm-hmm. <laughs> and then drives those behaviors what do we want to say here about that shame that gets, I think, I think a story would be good. And we were talking a little bit beforehand about a story that we would want to share. And Candace, you have a story to share from when you were pretty young about just how some feelings of shame swept over you.
1: And just wondering if you want to share that story. Yeah, I'll share that story. And I want to mention before I share the story that feeling shame can result from something that's been done to us, something that we've done, or just shame by association. It's just being connected to a group or a family that has been judged. When I was in probably third, second or third grade, I overheard a girl talking about that she couldn't come and spend the night at our house. My parents were divorcing and, you know, in my small community that was still very few people did. There was this sense of even as a young child I started to realize there's something bad about our family and that thing makes other kids not to get to spend the night at our house. Mm-hmm. And so I I, you know, Couldn't really name it then, but I did always have this sense that there were a group of kids that were better. There was something special about them. You know, I know that's true because I ended up getting invited to this person's birthday party at their house. And I remember feeling, wow, I must be special to get to go to their house. Mm. And really that's shame because it's it's that comparison. There's the special group. I told you this and we kind of laughed about it, but it's just true. The way we do this in shame, well, they're better, but I'm not quite as bad. So, you know, it's almost trying to manage, okay, how bad or how good am I? Mm. And all of that comes from shame.
2: Yeah. And I love how you mentioned the word comparison. And because I do believe that we struggle a lot with comparison.
1: And how does comparison fit into this whole picture of shame? Well, shame lies to us. There again, I guess the strongest lie is is that we're not good enough, but that sets us up to compare because we will judge people and ourselves in light of our idea of what's good and what's bad, instead of being able to look at the core of who someone is Mm. and call them created and beloved and who we truly are.
2: You heard that said about you when you were pretty young. And I'm just wondering, Would you say that that event kind of affected you through the coming years? Just kind of having that sense of, Ooh, there are people in my world who think that
1: I'm not good enough. Like what, what did that do to you? You know, several of my other stories too. So that was one of several that set me up to feel fundamentally flawed. Mm -hmm. I remember feeling it even in junior high and high school You know, it's one of the reasons I, when I got introduced to alcohol, there was something about having that relief of for this time, Mm. I just didn't care. Yeah. I have great empathy and compassion for coping behaviors that is trying to silence the voice of shame, but as we know, ends up producing a lot of guilt.
2: I'm just thinking about how in our culture, and this is probably true everywhere, you know, among humans, but we haven't been very good, at least in my world or my experience, right? We have not been very good about being able to show kindness to people who are acting out in ways that really are screaming, I need help. Somebody help me this maybe is a whole different conversation, but why is it so hard to walk toward people who really are screaming, I need help? And Mm -hmm. I, and I, and I'm, yeah, and I'm, I'm desperate here trying to just survive. Why is Mm -hmm. it so, why do you think it's
1: so hard for people to walk toward that? Well, because we also judge the way people cry out saying that they need help. I personally think we all need help. Somebody may be crying out through more destructive behaviors, but somebody may be crying out for help through temper that's out of control. You know, we, we actually in shame will judge people's behaviors in how they cry out for help. And so I think it's a good question to ask, share, because when we are acting out ourselves in the way that we can and do, and when we see someone else. I think it's just a compassionate question to say, where's the pain? Mm. Yeah. Where, what's going on here? Mm. You know, I provide that for myself quite frequently now. Yeah. Like what, what is it right now that I'm feeling pain about emotional pain? I love that. And just the way that you're learning to do it for yourself
2: we long for it from others and it's beautiful when it comes from others and it's also beautiful when we can offer that to our own soul i want us to talk a little bit about how shame can be healed because while this is shame is such a huge issue for all of us and like you said it's even our shame that judges other people's behavior that is rooted in their shame and so mm-hmm. we kind of have these ongoing cycles or scenarios where shame is played out, even in the back and forth of our close relationships, husbands mm-hmm. and wives, parents and children, friendships, right? We often, I, I wonder if we're just kind of bouncing a ball of shame back and forth between each other mm-hmm. and tr- trying to do the best we can, but below everything is kind of this sense of, I know that I'm not good enough. I know that I'm hiding parts of myself or or I may not even be aware that I am. How do we move toward healing shame? I think this is so important that we talk about this because you and I know, and we have begun to really experience mm-hmm. the healing of shame in our lives. Shame that we have lived with for many, many years, and we are beginning to see deep shame healed
1: yeah. in our lives. Yeah, and well, I don't know for me, I've had, you know, a strong faith in that. I believe when I thought of God, right. That he really could look at me and know me and still love me. Okay. Like I had a head knowledge of that, but when I started encountering, because he knew it all. And he said Mm -hmm. that he still loves me. yeah. And and I did have a faith that I believe that was true in my head. But when I began to experience Experience it in my friendships, you know, with you and our story group, where, okay, you guys may not and do not know everything like I believe God does. Mm -hmm. You know more than anyone, and you have not turned away. You have stayed. You have spoken into that secrecy and the judgment, and you've stayed. And, you know, there's been a few times. I have shown up in story group and, you know, I've shared something and I put my hands over my eyes, the shame that I have felt in those moments just felt too much to even look. Mm. And then of course, when I did the eyes that were meeting me and the words and the tenderness began to rewire my brain that I am worthy to be loved, Mm. even in my failures. And I can't, I've heard you say this before. I can't get enough of it now. <laughs> yeah. That's why we show up in story group every week. Right. Exactly. Yeah. And Renee Brown
2: talks about how it's, it's empathy when our shame is met with empathy, which, which is like somebody else meeting us, not with judgment, mm-hmm. but with the heart that says who I see before me is worthy to be loved. And I will walk toward you. And I'm not judging you because I, I know that I also have my own struggles and my own stories. And right. So it's, it's like we can move toward each other with empathy and love and kindness because we're also showing up and being real about our own feelings of shame and, and bringing our own stories where we have carried so much shame.
1: Yeah. And it's always so powerful when we, even over the weeks that follow after we've shared a story, how we see and experience more freedom in, in those particularities. And that that's why we believe in story work. I've said this before, like shame can't be met with vagueness. Mm. This vague you're okay, or I love you. Those things are great. I'm not saying there is never a time that we don't say things like that. But shame has to be extracted out with precision. And and that takes knowing the stories. I I was sitting in some of Brené Brown's
2: quotes today, and she really talks a lot about how healing requires vulnerability, Mm -hmm. courage, trust, authenticity and risk. And I was thinking about kind of this scenario of how healing requires that I walk into the room. Like that's first, right? Like I have to walk into the room. I can't just be alone in my shame and think that it's going to someday be gone. It won't. It will always be with me. But first I have to have the courage to walk into the room. Then I have to be willing to and vulnerable and take off some of my heavy protective armor. Mm-hmm. whatever that looks like, but all the, the things that have been protecting me, like I have to be willing to let that down, at least a piece of it, not, not, not all of it, but at least a piece of it. And I have to be willing to stand in the light, right? I have to be willing to say, here is a piece of my story mm-hmm. and I'm struggling with this and I don't even want to show you, but here mm-hmm. it is. And I allow you to see a piece of the real me like that takes uh, its vulnerability, it's courage, it's trust, right? I, I trust you enough because you've shown me, you've given me a glimpse that I have hope that I can show you a piece of the real me. And I do all of that knowing that this is a huge risk because I cannot control the outcome. Mm -hmm. Like you might have empathy, you might hear me well, you might see me, you might respond with love and care, mm-hmm. or you might, you might walk away, mm-hmm. you might judge me, right? So there's always risk involved and it's hard. Walking the path to healing shame requires these things like vulnerability, courage, trust, mm-hmm. authenticity risk. Like we cannot heal if we do not take some risks. We have to be looking for where are the safe places that I can begin to do this work? Who is a safe enough person that I can at least move toward in some way and give them some glimpse to see how they will respond to my story?
1: Yeah, it is hard, but it it is worth it. And I just want to say you know, we have listeners that maybe have stepped into that a little bit and got hurt, yeah. and so they've pulled back. But we, we actually have a deep cry in our hearts to be known, to be seen, to be loved, just as we are. And you may quiet that cry, you may numb it again, but my hope is that that you'll risk again. Mm. You know, I it it took me a long time to find the place and the people that could really help me get out of years and years of shame. There are people out there that can mm-hmm. and will,
2: and it's, it's part of the hard work is keep looking, keep working toward finding someone who can hold and contain your story. Mm-hmm. It's worth it. So yeah. worth it.
1: Yeah. Uh, good to be with you today. Share hard topic, but there's so much hope. Mm, so
2: much hope because shame can be healed like we know that this is true we're we're living examples of experiencing the goodness that comes when shame is met with love Mm
1: -hmm. good to be with you friend friend. yeah love you (laughs)
2: love you too
0: thank you for listening to processing trauma out loud Make sure to check out the show notes for links to suggested resources and social media. Like, subscribe, and follow to keep up with our weekly content. And if you don't mind, take a moment to rate and review us. Your feedback is extremely valuable and contributes to the success of this podcast. Music was created by Caleb Paxton, and our sound engineer is Jeremiah Jones of Story LLC. We welcome you to join us for more conversations soon. Take care.